Hey everybody. Um, I say this every time this happens, but um, it's really hard for you, to, for you to really appreciate how important it is for us to have guest speakers from time to time. It is enormously difficult to be interesting weekly, more than about 30 times a year. And um, so uh, it's really important for me so that I don't, you know, jump off of something. Or, um, and also, the, you know, the weeks I preach, it's very hard to lead. It's very hard to find time to go invest in people and bring them along and do evangelism and talk to people who have questions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing that's also true is that it's very important to, for you to be able to receive from multiple people. Um, and so um, this pulpit sh- should have more than one person who stands behind it. And um, also, if, if you have a senior pastor who's 35, you should be glad to know that there's somebody more experienced that he even knows, <laughs> you know, that may have some impact on his life. And so um, Mike Beresford, who's going to be our guest speaker this morning, he came in this weekend to do some seminar stuff with our staff and some of our ministry leaders and our elders. Um, and he was gracious to stay over and, um, and preach on Sunday morning with us. He, um, he's been a pastor for—he was a pastor for 22 years um, at, the, at the beginning part of his ministry career. Um, he pastored mostly in Seattle and in Denver. He was a children's pastor, an executive pastor, senior pastor from churches of 4,000 to 150. Um, then he did 10 years with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, where he trained young evangelists all over the world. And then after 9-11, they created a crisis response unit within, or team within that. And he later became, was on that team and trained on it and, and did, then did all their um, crisis and disaster response training. That's how I met him. He came to Madison to do it here. And Casey Zinn and, and I took a class with him. He spent like almost an hour that day just talking to me about being a senior pastor and how much fun it can be and how much fun it often isn't. And it was, it was really encouraging to me. And he gave me a book, and I read it, and the elder, most of the elders have read it too. And so he was a blessing even just coming in and out of my life. And so he's going to come in and out of your life now um, in, an, in this hour. And um, I believe he's going he's to be a blessing to you. So I, uh, let's pray for him as he comes. And why don't, why don't we all listen attentively, trusting that God is going to speak through his personality and what he, what he has prepared, okay? Father, we lift up Mike T right now, and we pray that you would, you would work in him. He's had a long weekend and a lot going on in his life this weekend, and we pray that you'd speak through him right now. We pray that you'd give him clarity and direction and poise and, um, and, and the fullness of your spirit and anointing to speak to us. And we pray, Father, that you would give us an anointing of listening and taking to heart and caring about your holy things, your important, meaningful things, so that it would matter to us and that we would be more in line with who you are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> when you live at 6,000 feet, the sun's really intense, and so even though we had nine inches of snow last week, we're budding out and everything, and so my allergies got acted up, and then I got here just in time to do it again. <clears throat> so my throat's just a little, uh, little raw, but it's good to be with you. I live in the western slope of Colorado. A lot of people think the only city in, Den- in Colorado is Denver, and that's really true. But um, there's some smaller areas, and over in the western slope, it's about three hours west of Denver, five hours east of Salt Lake City, and there's just a few little places people fly in, like Vail and Aspen and Steamboat Springs. Those are all within an hour, hour and 15 of my house, and I have to look at my office and sit down and look at the Colorado River and the mountains, and, you know, it's hard. 
But Jesus puts us places we don't always understand. When, he, when I went there, I thought I'd go to a city. I'm a city kid, born in Seattle, love the city. I thought maybe I had sin in my life or something because he put me on the back range. It's like, you know, the front range is over there. And he said, just chill. And nine months later, not very long, it has been amazing to see what God's doing. And I'm just, I can't wait to get home to see what happens this week. Because when we are faithful, she brought me another one. She loved me more. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. <clears throat> you have an amazing staff here, and they just have done. Hello, Matt. Um, excuse us. But God put us where we didn't even, it's a job I never applied for, I never accepted, and we live there. I haven't figured that one out yet. But I'm like, what are you doing, God? And I've spent most of my Christian life asking that question. What? What are you doing? And, and I just kind of think that's kind of what the disciples had going on in their own lives. We're going to, I have a, a real Bible here, but I preach off my app. And so if you have it in paper or electronic form, open up every Sunday. I just say open up your apps because even though we're urban or yeah, ur, not urban, rural, um, technology did arrive. We're going to stop for a minute in Matthew 28, and we're going to focus most of our time in 2 Corinthians 5. But I just want you to think just a minute about what's happened that this verse is culminating in. Jesus shows up, grows up, basically walks around for three years. And he's got these 12 young teenagers. He says, follow me. Now, they weren't the brightest in the group because they all started out in, in a Jewish school. And if they would have been the brightest, then they would have been chosen by a rabbi to follow and to learn. But they got to the point, the rabbi said, eh, I'm sorry, I don't think so. Go home, um, do whatever your dad does, make some money, come back when you're 30. And so <clears throat> Jesus picks them. Now, it would have made sense if he had already had a bestseller and, you know, you say, okay, these are the things you do. You know, you take these four leadership courses and then we'll talk a little bit more. And, and this is how you talk. This is how you dress people. And this is kind of what you do. And you get, you know, start writing your own stuff and people will start hanging around you. And, and eventually we'll make some changes. That's not what he did at all. He said, follow me. And off he goes. I don't even know if you look back to see if they were catching up. But, you know, so he goes to the park and, and kids, people are like, don't let the kids bother him. He's like, no, I like kids. They're still innocent. You know, they, they haven't, they're not adults yet. They don't know that they shouldn't do those things. They're just kids. Would you just let them be? He's walking along through the market and this, this lady reaches out and touches him. And he's like... What do you need? Oh, I'm bleeding. And he, and he heals her. And one day he's over at the, his dad's house in the temple. And 
he's, he's just teaching to some folks and all of a sudden the doors burst open and these guys in these robes and funny beards throw this young girl in front of him and say, okay, now what are you going to do? You're going to deny the law? And I can just imagine he gets in front of her between her and her accusers. And he waits them out. And it says he stooped and he wrote. I think I know what he was writing. I think he was writing the rest of the law that they ignored just so they could do part of it to trap him. And he waits him out and he picks her up and he says, you know what? Don't do that. Don't live that way. Live in a way that gives life. And he walks on. And he comes up and there's some people that are hungry. And he says, guys, would you feed them? And he just, he goes to the beach. You know, he just lives life. And then he's crucified. It's like, what kind of leader is this? Can you imagine walking around the country for three years? And it ends like that. And then there's this resurrection thing, and, and then he shows back up, and you're like, I thought. And then he says, I've been given all authority in heaven. And you're thinking, yeah, right. The Romans just twirled you around their finger. The priest in the old ways, they just had their way with you. And now you've got all authority in heaven? Give me a break. Or whatever. And he says, now they came together, but some doubted. Well, I can understand that. It's a lot to wrap your mind around. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go. Where? You don't exactly have a learning center named after you. Um, we've been kicked out of more towns than we've been in. Where do you want us to go? Go to all the nations. We couldn't even overtake Samaria. You ever been where you worshiped, but you doubted? Because he's bigger. His ways are not our ways. Man, we would have had a church plant manual written and a video series and everything done before we sent these yokers out. He says, go and make disciples. And he's like, what's that? That's you. You get it? He says, but don't do this until you receive power. So I want you to go to Jerusalem and there'll be an upper room and you'll, you'll figure it out. And then he disappears and he's like, where'd he go? I don't know, but he told us to go, so let's go. So they go to the upper room and here they are. And they have this incredible experience. But they're still as ignorant as dirt. But something changed in them. So you got this guy, Peter, who hides at the crucifixion, who's now preaching like 
he's a Trinity grad. What happened? He obeyed, and God is. That's what happened. And I can't imagine the frustration and the wonder that's going on in these young guys' lives after hearing, go. And by the way, all the authority I have of heaven is now yours. Use it well. I can just imagine if somebody said that to you, that you had a pretty good idea that might be God, you might be going, nothing's happening, so you're really not sure what it means, but you do what he says anyway. And the church explodes and all this stuff is happening, but they're messy. So Paul starts writing letters back to the messes. Paul doesn't get up and say, well, I think I'll write some theology today. No, he's answering letters to all these problems in these little churches. Some of them not so little. And to the Corinthians, he says, man, you know, these people from Corinth, they've got this temple up on the hill. It's got a thousand prostitutes in it, and that's a form of worship to them. And so now they're pulled out and doing something else. And so he's got to write 1 Corinthians 5. He's got to say, no, that's not how we worship. We're now pure before God, sex is for marriage, all these things. So would you just chill and refocus on who God's called us to be and, and all? And, and he's writing all these corrective things, and they're, they're messed up communion. I mean, they're shutting the door to the poor people and those that can afford it because Corinth was probably two-thirds slaves and about a third folk that had the money. And they're shutting everybody else, and they turn communion into this drunken party. And they're celebrating themselves instead of who God is. And, and then they've messed up the things of the Spirit and the gifts, so he's writing all these things. And then he has to write another letter. He says, guys, I need you to understand who you are in Christ. Why you're who you are and why you're where you are. You got a mission. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Well, it's to recognize he's God and I'm not. And when he clicks his fingers, duck. When I click my fingers, it better be in rhythm, otherwise it looks really stupid. And so that's the difference. I'm trying hard and he is. He says, Therefore, Knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. Just because I'm afraid of somebody doesn't mean I'm going to go tell everybody else about him other than stay away from him. Guy's bad. No, knowing the fear of God is to know how much God loves him. Paul was so aware of God's intense love for him. I mean, Paul, this guy whose name used to be Saul, got his jollies. His job was to kill the Christians. Highly educated in the church. PhD. And his job is to eradicate this new church. Until he runs into Jesus. And he runs into Jesus and he understands, he has this epiphany that God, in spite of his sin, and Paul's always saying, I'm the chief of sinners, I win. 
But God loved me. And he's so blown away by that fact that he says, if God could love me, I'm going to tell you about it. Because he did it to me. And so he says, but what we are known, or excuse me, but what we are is known to God, and I hope to your conscience. He's saying, I know who I am in Christ because of God's great love for me. God knows that. He had the plan, but in it, I know it in my head too. Would you know this in your head? Would you be confident in your conscience, in your inner man, that because of God's great love, what he sees us as we are? And he says, we are not commending ourselves to you. This isn't about us. It's not about Paul. But giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. See, what do we do? You know, if I drew some little red circles, you'd go, Target. If I did a swish, you'd go, Nike. If I held up just a cup with some green scribbling on it, you'd go, Starbucks. Because we are so into image, outward appearance, Nice car, bad shoes. You know, it's, that's how we live. What do our kids talk about? What do we see? What are we bombarded with in our media? Image. And Paul's saying, you know, we're not here to impress you with our oratory. That's how he starts off 1 Corinthians. He says, we're here that we may be a testimony to the love of God. And so convinced of what God has done, not that you would boast about outward, but what is in our hearts, here we are. For the love of Christ controls us. Wow. Have you ever had a day where you said that? But it's a reality. It's present. Now, if we lean into that, it's often a different discussion, especially in my house, but it's there. Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing has been given. So, all that we need is present. The love of God controls us because we've concluded this. Jesus died for everyone. Therefore, all have died he died for all. And those who might live, no longer live for themselves, but for him. That's a mouthful. It goes on, he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Look around you. Go ahead. What do you see? Who do you see? Well, you see some older people and see some younger people. Probably see somebody you don't really want to like. That's why you're sitting over there and they're over here. Oh, but I'd like to move. I see somebody I'd like to sit by. And we have all these judgments that we make based on outward appearance. How does God see us? 
I sure hope he doesn't look at the outside package. No, he looks not only at my heart, but for me and for you, if you're a Christ follower, he looks at your redeemed heart and he says, my kid, my son, my daughter, the one who I have given full authority to, to live like my son, Jesus. That's who God sees when he looks at you. That's who God sees when he looks at that person next to you. And Paul says, you know, I even looked at Jesus in the flesh. I thought he was just this rubble rouser guy who was teaching things against the church. And and I went out to kill all of his followers. And I just couldn't wait to get my hands on just destroy this thing that people called the church. (coughs) Then I met him. And now I can't wait to proclaim, to persuade, because he loves me. And he's just overwhelmed because of God's love. What overwhelms you? What are you passionate about? It was funny, about three weeks ago, I'm, I'm leading a group of pastors, and, and the host had had people go around the room and say what they were passionate about. Now, these are pastors. Nobody said they were passionate about Jesus. So I get up, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have some fun here. And I really am passionate about Jesus, but I was kind of ornery at the same time. And I said, you know, I'm just passionate about Jesus. And you could have seen, you should have seen the look on all these pastors' faces. Because that should have been the go-to answer. And they missed it. We learned some interesting things about what they enjoyed doing. But Paul's the love of God controls me. And in that... I'm going to live my life to persuade. But then he goes on, he says, you know, when we came to Christ, the old nature left. I still have the same personality. I still have the same things I like to do. I still have the same orneriness, my wife says. I don't think it's true. I think that left too. I, but the old is gone and the new has come. What's the new? It's the capacity to now live in Christ and Christ's nature become my nature. And so the things that he said were important, compassion, the ability to be nice, the ability to hear a harsh word but see a broken heart, the ability to be quiet and come alongside I now have all of those things within reach. I have to put them on. Paul says, put off the old and put on the new, but it's all present. My capacity has changed. My desire has changed. For now the love of God controls me. And he says, in this, God has given you also the ministry of reconciliation. The first time I read that verse, I'm thinking... I don't want that ministry. Because there are people that I don't like. 
So I just decided I don't like that verse. Problem was, God didn't decide that. He decided he was going to teach me that verse. And so he did. And there were a few times when I started out in ministry, I was 22 and I was a children's pastor in a very fast growing church. I had about 600 elementary kids and about three, 400 early childhood kids. And I thought I was good. I was. People came and they looked at our children's ministry and for seven years I ran that thing. And I'm, my personality is such that if you're five minutes late, well, my personality was. If you're five minutes late, you can reschedule because I'm busy. I live that way. I work 60 hours a week because it was fun. I did seven out of nine weeks of day camp and junior high camp in the summer because we got kids changed. Their lives changed. Their families changed. It was a machine. And one day, I was 26 years old. Leroy Johnson, who was outside of my dad and my grandpa, a man that I admired. He was one of my profs at school. We're standing in the lobby next to the bathroom door, the men's bathroom. Not because we were in a hurry, but just because that's where we were. And he said, MB, he always called me MB, Mike Beresford. He knew me from about ninth grade up. He said, if you loved Jesus, you would be an amazing pastor. God has a nine iron that has the side of my face shaped in it. <laughs> I hit that door and the next door so fast. Found an empty stall and hit my knees and in front of that porcelain throne emptied my heart to God. Because I knew he was right. I love organization. I love putting things together that don't fit. I love making something out of nothing. I love watching it work. I love saying, I did that. And God said, so what? That's not the plan. It looks like the plan, but it's not the plan because it's void of me. And I'm thinking, how could it be void of me? I've got lists of kids and families that have been transformed. He says, well, I'm still faithful to my word, but I got a different name for you. It took me about 10 months to work through this. It had some serious effects. And I learned through some very difficult situations at the hand of God's nine iron that unless I loved, unless I could say what Paul says, I am controlled by the love of God. God really wasn't interested in my plan. 
There's been a few times I've had to relearn that message. But I go back to Paul. And he just said, I can't believe God would love a sinner such as me and allow me to embrace others on his behalf. And Paul goes on and he says, so since God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, I now call you an ambassador. A few years ago, a friend of mine, Billy Graham, um, had a friend who was the ambassador to France, and he called him up and he said, what's your, what's your job description? How do you define what you do? He said, that's easy. I go to another country on behalf of my sovereign and I speak his message. Gary's waiting for the rest of it. And he says, what else? Well, that's it. I don't get to add. I don't get to subtract. I just go on behalf of my sovereign to another country and deliver the message. Hmm. Who's our sovereign? King Jesus. What's his message? Hope. Redemption. The love of God. Truth. And he says, now you, because you've received, are my ambassadors. And he says the same thing that Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, 20. He says, go. And we do the same thing that they did. Go where? He says, just live. Just go. I was teaching McLean Bible, which is at Tyson's Corner outside of uh, D.C., and on Sunday, I went to church there. And it's just a little church. They got four or five campuses and about 28,000 people that attend. And I'm with a guy from the State Department, and he had been my host. And we're there, and most people are suited up. And, you know, it's a beautiful place, beautiful people, the whole deal. And Lon gives this amazing background and theological discussion of a passage and then he lifts his hands up, and in one loud, unified voice, they cry out, So what? I mean, loud. People are waiting for the moment. And when Lon's hands go up, you scream, So what? And I look at the guy next to me, and he goes, Every week. <laughs> So what's it got to do with us? Nice for Paul, nice for the boys. But come on, seriously, we're busy. Can't add one more thing to my schedule. You're right. Have you ever wondered why you live in Madison? See, what that has to do with us is it has everything to do with us. Why did God put you here? Why did God put you amongst the 233,000 folks or so? Why did he put your house next to the other 102,000 houses? Why did he make your family one of 48,000 families? Why did he have a density factor of 3,000 per square mile? In Madison, and you're in the middle of it. Why? Fate? No, God's sovereign, so everything is under his control. So... Jesus says to the disciples, go. Okay? 
but go as I went. In all the scenarios we have in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the stories, Jesus was with people. And he always has these amazing conversations with the kingdom in mind. He doesn't go out and just, you know, slap them sideways with. Listen. No. He invested, listened, cared for, demonstrated. And when they heard enough to provoke a question, he answered it. But even then, he didn't always try to give them the theologically correct answer. He would often just give them something to move them down the path a little bit further. Well, why don't you think about this? And then instead of straight up, he told them parables. Well, the kingdom of God is like this. And the parables are more about life. And you look at it and you're like, oh man, that's all about living. And he goes, yeah. You got it. It's all about living. But so what? What's it got to do with me? Well, have you ever considered who you are? Who does God see you as? Paul said, God knows us, and I hope we understand who he sees in our own conscience, in our own inner person. Because here's what God has done. He's taken you, his children, and he's cleverly disguised you as accountants and as retail clerks, and as medical residents, and as students, and as housewives, and as soccer players, and as, and as, and as, and as. And it goes on, and we all have a place to go, and we all have a pattern and a pathway of influence. Lady after service, last service, she said, you know where I go? I said, where? She said, I go home. I go home to people that don't believe like me. I said, good, go well. Be controlled by the love of Jesus. She said, it's hard. I said, yeah, it is. But his grace is sufficient. And she smiled. And she said, after all these years, it still is. And we think that we go do those things because it's just what we do so we can live, so we can go do something like a Christian. No. We get to do those things because that's what Christians do. See, some of you got a promotion last year. Why did you get it? Because you think you're smart? No, it was much more likely that as you uncovered this new department you were in or your boss or your workmate and you found out life was falling apart and in fact his wife had breast cancer and he was devastated and he didn't know what to do and he's here because his family's elsewhere. He was here by a job and God's put you right in the middle of it. Because he wants you to pray with him. He wants you to invite God into the midst of that situation, into that relationship. And he says, I need you here. Why are you in the neighborhood you're in? And you just cringe because all the kids around are mean and, and your kids don't have good friends. And, and it's like, man, I'm the only Christian here, God. He's like, yeah, shine bright. Guy bought a new house and it was in a cul-de-sac. And he found out over a few weeks that all of his friends were neighbors. All the people in the cul-de-sac were not neighbors. They were that too. But he found out they were all Christians. 
And he's like, I can't believe it. We've finally reached a place where we're in a cul-de-sac and everybody's Christian. Then move. You're not needed there. You know, if all the lights are on and you're only one more light in the lit room, what's the value? He made us light and salt so that we would go into a dark world and illuminate. He called us salts because salt preserves that which is going to spoil. It brings flavor. And so he calls us those things to help us understand lifestyle. We think, oh, we're going to go to church today. Well, here's what God says when we're going to go to church. He says, no, you're gathering for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. For him, going to church means when you walk out of that door. Because that's when the church is productive. That's when the church shines. When all those neighborhoods have Christians in them, Christ followers in them, when your workplaces, when you step into the office tomorrow morning and all of a sudden Christ's presence is there. When you go to school and you open up your locker and the kid next to you says something you you don't like, it's like, I know why I'm here. I'm here because the love of Christ controls me and I've called and I've been placed here for the good of the kingdom of God. So what's it look like? How many of you go grocery shopping? The rest of you don't starve, I can see that. We all go grocery shopping or we send somebody on our behalf. So this week, get in the same line of the clerk you had last week. And next week, if you're like us, we don't do big lists. We just buy a lot often, which means I look like this. But I go to the same person. If Porsche's working that day, I go stand in her line. Why? Because I know her name now, and she knows my name. And she says, hi, Mike. And I say, hi, Porsche. I know she's got a little boy because she told me about him. The next visit, I learned she was single. And the next visit, I learned that she's a single mom working. And the next visit, I found out her little boy was sick. So what did I do? I didn't promise to pray for her. I'm sorry to say that. But I did something better. I prayed for her. And I didn't hold up the line. I just said, Jesus, you know Portia, you know her situation. I just ask you to be gracious to her right now and to her little boy in the name of Jesus. See you next week, Portia. The next week she said, when I go home, the babysitter said my little boy was okay. Thank you for praying. We didn't hold the line up. We didn't have an evangelistic meeting or anything. We just live life with the kingdom in mind. Some of you are soccer moms and dads. That means every week you go to practices and pizza parties and games. And the kids that are on the team, they bring the same parents. Every week. It's amazing. And so you get to know them. And pretty soon you're sharing rides and having pizza with them and laughing at the 
dumb jokes the kids are telling you. You're living life together. And then next week, one of the moms says, you know, I, I know how to say this. I, I know that you are a person of faith. We got a, a situation that we don't know what to do with. Would you pray? And you're humbled because you realize you're in God's hands at that moment. And you're being used. And you say, yeah, I'd love to pray for you. And you do. And the kingdom of God is advanced. And you get to walk with that family and you find out it's really serious. And you get to cover them with prayer and you get to walk with them. And pretty soon the relationship is extended beyond soccer. Because God put you there where he needed you. As an ambassador of the kingdom of God. That's who you are. You're the church. You don't come here to into a church. You are the church because the presence of God is within you. Because the love of God controls you. Because you can relinquish yourself into him and find amazing adventures every moment of every day as you go to work in that place you don't even like because you forgot to understand why you were there. See, you're incredible because you're filled with the power and the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, speaks to our spirit. And we understand things that we don't, that are beyond our intellect. And they come through and we form words and we speak into their life. And they go, how did you know to tell me that? That's exactly what I needed. And you go, God's working again. Yeah, he is. He's naturally supernatural. In you, through you. It's not an accident you live in Madison. Madison needs Jesus. So all over this town this morning, there are pockets of evangelicals who love Jesus, who believe his word is true, who believe that Jesus died and believe that he has all authority in heaven and earth. And he has given it to us to make a difference in culture as we help people see Jesus. You are the church. You are amazing. You are loved. You are free from performance because of his great love before you could do anything about it. And now free to give that away to others. All that's left to do is go. Go. Go and be the church. Be a light. Be salt. Be an ear. Be a prayer. Be a good player on your soccer team. 
Be a good employee. Be a good mom. Be a good dad. Because the love of Christ controls us and allowing us now to give freely because that's the model that God gave us in his son Jesus. He said here, as Nick said earlier, the gospel is free. It only required the death of God's son in your sin. But he accomplished that. Because God so loved the world that he gave. And he continues to give through us with permission and all authority to do what Jesus started. Redeem mankind so culture can be redeemed. Soon you leave this building in just a moment. Go and be the church. You don't have to add a program. You don't have to complicate your schedule. Just look at your schedule and say, oh, we get to see the Joneses tonight at Billy's soccer game. I wonder what God's doing in their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you see far more than we do. And you've strategically placed us in places we don't understand to do things that we sometimes feel we're not qualified for, but you in us is enough. Yeah, we need to learn some things and and we can get better at some things. But Father, don't let us look at people around us with the eyes of the flesh. Help us to look at people around us with the eyes of Jesus. Knowing we have all authority, all power. To say peace be still into their lives. Because of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.